Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be discussing all things fragrance with a look at five key concepts that will really push the industry forward in the next couple of years. To discuss this, I'm joined by Lizzie Ostrom, a.k.a. Odette Toilette, fragrance expert and consultant who's created magical sensory events for the likes of Liberty, Cos and Aesop. And Lisa Payne, Stylus's own senior editor of Beauty. So first of all, Lizzie, tell us about your journey from fragrance fan to perfume pro. How did you get started and what does your work entail? I got started almost a decade ago and I began by hosting events about perfume, actually. So these funny little evenings where people came together to discuss and learn about scent, often with a theme, um, which at the time wasn't something you could really do certainly in the UK. And from there, it just sort of, well, it went on this magical mystery journey around all sorts of different activities involving scent. So um, I've done consultancy on new product development and innovation, um, finding interesting ways to market scent and the sense of smell. And I curated the perfume exhibition that was on at Somerset House in 2017 as well, which was really good fun. Brilliant. So we're going to talk about five key trends for fragrance that every beauty brand needs to know about right now. So first up, this concept of functional fragrance, harnessing ingredients and aromas that offer benefits beyond just a pleasing scent. Lisa, perhaps you could introduce this idea. Yeah, well, you kind of summed up, really. Um, You know, functional fragrance, I think, has really been driven by self-carers and the concept of how wellness is infiltrating the beauty um, and fragrance industries more than ever before. So especially in this last year, it feels like uh, that this that this combination has really been uh, catalyzing the functional fragrance category with products and sensorial spaces that are sort of boosting well-being alongside offering pleasing fragrance. Um, and one of the most exciting uh, examples of this that I've seen recently is the uh, Nuco's functional fragrance, um, which the brand actually describes as an anti-stress supplement delivered in the form of a unisex fragrance. Um, and it was based on research um, Uh, of the olfactory system's ability to trigger emotional responses um, in the brain. So it uses things like cardamom, palo santo and iris uh, that create positive neurological reactions, Um, which I think is really exciting when you think about fragrances being something that's quite superficial and, uh, you know, just about a pleasing scent and then actually uh, being able to have a pleasing scent and also something that really boosts your mood or calms you. I, I think that this is such an exciting space. Um, and actually the brand, uh, one of the uh, brand um, VP of business development uh, was saying that they expected that this product was going to be sort of a leader in the uh, sensory supplement category, which I think is is an interesting concept. And it's sold alongside health supplements, which is quite unusual with a fragrance. Normally it's aligned with beauty, um, but this is sold alongside vitamins or powders or, you know, drinkable boosters. So it's fascinating that scent is being positioned alongside a slightly different set of um, behaviours. Um, another thing that I think is really interesting about these functional fragrances, which are sometimes by some companies referred to as phytoinhalants, <laughs> Um, I guess this idea that you're breathing in plant extracts that will have some sort of effect on the brain um, is not only 
this shift away from aromatherapy, which arguably is a bit of a tired, dated concept, towards something slicker and more informed by neuroscience and understanding cognition. Um, But also... It's taking fragrance to a space where it's being pulled away from its role as a cosmetic. And this could be a really interesting time for the industry, but also slightly tricky because if fragrance starts to shift from being a cosmetic and starts to have these other effects on your health, arguably, on the, your, your brain behaviour, etc., then what is fragrance. So, you know, in the coming years, I think there will be a bit of interrogation and pushing of these boundaries, which could also cause some issues. For classification and stuff. So is it cosmetic or is it health? Yes, exactly. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about this kind of neurological impact that fragrance can make. What's the science behind it? Mark Moss, who I think is at the University of Northumbria, is one of the researchers who's been... um, Create, producing the clinical evidence of um, the effect of aromatherapy oils on the brain and body. So his most famous study on rosemary showed that compounds are crossing the blood-brain barrier. So he is sort of going through materials one by one to sort of show what we kind of knew anyway through, I suppose it's folk wisdom, but, mm. but pre- creating more of a sort of clinical base for it. Um, yeah, and then there's this other brand uh, called This Works, which um, this year launched its sort of really big uh, new uh, range called Morning Expert. And fundamentally, again, it, it is based on, on on beauty products to sort of help you get um, your morning glow on. But then they also have a Morning Expert oil blend, which um, they have done neurological brain scans. Um, and a lot of scientific testing, this brand is quite is quite based in, in the scientific testing, um, that have... Sh- uh, that have um, shown how the brain receptors and centers um, that to, that have um, connections to memory and alertness um, and things like that that we kind of need to uh, be boosted in the morning that those were all sort of fired by this particular um, oil blend which I think is quite exciting and it didn't actually have any citrus in it. The other activity that's happening in this space, which is not product-based but behaviour-based, is the idea of smell training, which has come out of academia and until now has largely been applied to health conditions like uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. So this idea that... um, particularly with, with tracking sense of smell loss, which can accompany dementia, that if you practice smelling and expose yourself to different odours, you can boost or um, alter your, I guess, olfactory abilities. So why this is interesting is that we can build our responses, arguably, to certain aromas by exposing ourselves to them um, through repetition. So some people um, might not have been able to smell something. They've, they've got an anosmia, which is where you, you lose a sense of smell either selectively or completely. And by smelling something over and over again, they're starting to, to um, lower their threshold at which they can detect it. So if we're now getting these products that are like this works ones, which are have an intended effect, coupled with more thinking about how we smell... Um, then that's really interesting as a combination. Uh, the second concept we're looking at is scent rituals. So, Lizzie, this is something I believe you've explored at the events you produce, drawing on 
ancient Aroma traditions. Um, how do you go about making these rituals relevant now and why do you think it resonates with the modern consumer? Well, the, the resurgence of scent rituals, I think, again, comes out of the self-care movement, just as Functional Fragrance did. It's partly about... Um, scent scent is obviously an integral part of how we mark the seasons um how we mark um what's going on day to day in our lives and obviously apps like the pattern astrology incense etc um tarot <laughs> we all know about the tarot resurgence um so there's definitely um, more and more brands who are coming up with products that update incense for a more modern sensibility. Um, so um, there are brands like Australia's Shimana, which produces apparently activated incense, which sort of looks like a jar of bits of pebble and chips of wood and you um, pour some onto coals and burn it. Um, there's a brand, uh, Fredericks and May, which is stocked in a lot of upscale homeware stores now, which produces, you know, really old school smudge sticks, you know, which we've all come across, but in um, very stylish cardboard branded packs. And they've just released incense ropes that um, sort of burn slowly down that are sort of fabric uh, coils. Um there's also lots of natural fragrances um, from brands like um, Magic Hour, Essential Faith and Page 33. And a lot of them are coming out of the US, which are slightly sort of um, um, DIY looking bottles of elixirs and multipurpose oils. They're, again, aromatherapy based, um, which are sort of giving a slightly more esoteric, ritualised approach into um, using your fragrance. So it's. I think there are a few different things going on. There is taking time to pause and use scent in a more considered way. There's, a, there's also a sort of appropriation in a way of the religious use of scent, but taken to a more secular space. Um, and I think there's also this idea of making the invisible sense of smell something more tangible, something you can see, whether it's through smoke or some sort of, you know, ritual or gesture you, you go through when you're using it. And that connects very much in a way with the rise of bigger multisensory experiences that have been coming through in the last few years, you know, creating something where you're, you're combining a sort of a smell with a with a visual reference some sort of heightened moment do you have an example of of your work where you've where you've been doing that the project that i did for cos recently probably touches on that so recently i worked with the storytelling agency visual editions to produce a campaign for cos the clothing retailer where we created a, a abstract tree in a lot of the stores across Europe, um, which over a period of a few weeks told a story. So there were thousands of um, leaves that were attached to the tree holding text from a, from a story. It was a version of Hans Christian Andersen's The Fir Tree. And every week the tree built and you could come in and read the next chapter and the leaves were all scented um, to take you into a sort of... Um, uh, tundra landscape or forest so 
it was very much about creating a really secluded sort of private space within a very busy store where you could really put yourself into this setting and this story. Um, yeah, right. that's probably a, a relevant one. That's brilliant. So our next theme is the merging of fragrance and flavour. We talk a lot on Stylus about the mixing of different senses as a really powerful engagement strategy. So what makes it so effective and, and who's doing this well? Yeah, fragrance and flavour are having a bit of a love-in at the moment. But, I mean, they always have because the palette of materials is so shared anyway between what a flavourist would use or a food scientist and what a perfumer would use. Um, Sugar reduction, I think, is really driving this in a lot of ways. So our drinks, our food is having to be much less sugary and brands are having to look at ways of achieving that and giving you a, 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 a delightful experience without the sort of traditional props that we might have had. Um, and so in reducing sugar, you have to work out other ways of giving that flavour experience. So in the US, there's a, a company called Drink Scent, which is spelt S-Z-E-N-T. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, if it's Zent or Zent. And they've done something really clever, which is plain water which has been filtered and then they've heavily fragranced a ring which goes around the bottle um, that's attached to the cap and that bears a colour so I think they've got tangerine mint pineapple flavour so when you take a sip your nose is obviously right up to this ring and you have a sort of an illusion of drinking tangerine and it's all working through orthonasal olfaction. So so the two main types of smelling are orthonasal, which is when something's going in from the outside, and retronasal, which is when you're maybe chewing food and the aroma's coming back through through your, um, your airways. And this is almost a sort of ghost smell effect by um, making you think you're having tangerine. Um, and they've just raised um, a substantial amount of money in the US. It's fairly limited distribution at the moment. But I think this is really interesting, how you can use fragrance, not necessarily to dupe the brain, but to augment an experience that might otherwise be fairly vanilla or plain. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it actually goes back to, you know, the second... Um, sort of big trend about sensoriality. So, you know, uh, the British design studio Bumpus and Par did a pop-up in uh, last year, which was amazing. It was called Paradise Now. Um, and they sort of played with this concept of, of, of fragrance and to do to sort of dupe the brain and it had a wellness slant so it it had a, a, a garden architecture um, space uh, coloured in, in Baker uh, Miller pink which is apparently a shade that's scientifically proven to reduce anxiety um, but it was accompanied by a waterfall that was enriched with the scent of raspberry leaf um, and it had a meditation zone where guests could sort of handle aromatherapy scented pebbles and it was all about sort of using the concepts of like colour but with fragrance but again a flavour that's uh, that's an edible flavour um, to to sort of yeah create a, a different uh, mind space for, mm. for visitors so I think that that's a really exciting space So from multi-sensory experiences to something a little less magical our fourth concept um, is high-end laundry now Lizzie what's this got to do with fragrance innovation and, and why do you think it's important? Well, 
We all do laundry, I hope. <laughs> Maybe some people don't. But um, high-end laundry is something that has been simmering away for a little bit, but it's now at a moment where it seems to be taking off. Um, so the the US, again, I think has been a big market for this. So there are... Um, boutique um, companies like The Laundress, which is almost sort of taking laundry into a more Joe Malone type space where it's it's about fragrance and fine fragrance and a slightly more heightened, rarefied experience. Um, there's a company called Frey, which is get, trying to get men to do washing and it sells them monthly plans where they'll get a sort of subscription in the post um, and the fragrances are designed to be appealing for for the guys. I mean, laundry's had a big sort of issue in the past that it's very much been sold to women and maybe using gender identities that now are a little bit out of date and problematic. Um, and there's also recently Kin Living, which is kind of giving a sort of Scandi, your home is your temple sort of vibe to laundry. Um, I think it's really interesting because um, traditionally... Um, Fine fragrance has held the monopoly for what's going on in fragrance and what's what's interesting. But actually, in terms of reaching more people at more points in their day-to-day living, we spend so much time, unless we're very wealthy indeed, but you know, looking after our clothes. We're all being encouraged to look after our clothes more and buy fewer things and to take care of them and tend to our fabrics. So the fact that the market is moving sort of upwards isn't necessarily that big a surprise. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens next and where that category can grow. I think it's something that we have explored um, in the last couple of years. And we've been really excited by how the personal care category has become sort of like catalyzed with luxury elements and, uh, you know, brands are learning from indie brands and introducing lots of different flavours and, and um sense and combinations that you wouldn't expect in, for example, toothpaste. So Le Bon um, has some amazing toothpaste that are packaged uh, like luxury uh, items that you'd want to display um, in your bathroom. But then uh, they have flavours like blackberry and cardamom and, you know, very sort of, uh, sort of, yeah, heightened luxury flavours, which is, which is really exciting. And we've seen so much more... Um, coming to market in the same sort of uh, vein as that. So, yeah, so I think that that's going to just continue to grow. So we touched there a little bit on this idea of sustainability, and this is what we're looking at for our final and most important trend of all, um, sustainability and conscious consumers. How is the fragrance industry addressing this sustainability imperative? Well, so this is obviously something that was really big for stylists, um, and the fragrance industry is really responding um, to this call uh, from a from a sourcing of ingredients perspective, um, but then also from a sort of doing social good element. And, and what's really exciting is that this is happening in the luxury space, which you wouldn't Im- immediately think would, uh, would be the space that this would be happening in. Um, and so one of the really good examples of this is Saint-Jardin, um, which is trying to bill itself as, as the world's first luxury fragrance house that is um, a conscious luxury fragrance house. So um, they source all of their um, 
uh, orange blossoms in Morocco. Um, but what they do is after the the harvest has been done and, and the essential oils have been pulled out, they, they use those waste orange blossoms and give them back to a, a, a community of women who then use um, them into making candles and flower waters. So it's kind of doing that social good, ethically um, sourcing ingredients. Um, and yeah, there's there's been a lot of buzz around them. So so we, I can expect some more new brands like this coming through with the, with this consciousness built into um, their early stage offerings. And this is also really being led by the big fragrance houses um, who are the people who are making the fragrance products for so many of these brands because actually a lot of the power is with the fragrance houses. They're the people who are manufacturing or sourcing the ingredients and you know right in there in the supply chain um so Ferminish, um one of the fragrance houses has done a partnership with chopard which is the jewelry brand obviously it's moved into fragrances and they've been working with livia firth to move the company towards a more sustainable position um and Ferminish are supplying um ethically sourced um, ingredients so that might be orange blossom or neroli oil um, and are able to demonstrate the local partnerships that are in place to support that but I think it's a, a I think about this question a lot because um, the fragrance industry at the moment is still quite mysterious and in fashion there is so much interrogation of supply chains happening in fragrance, I think there's still um, a perception gap between what we think, where we think our products are being sourced from, and our need, the, the consumer's need for naturals, and actually what is true sustainability, which often is using synthetic materials because they can be produced in a way that's actually requires much less energy than a naturally sourced material would. Um, so I'm interested in the next few years how the fragrance industry talks about itself and um, how we can, um, you know, in the industry, obviously I've got a responsibility as well, but how um, new brands coming through are going to be able to tell that story in a way that is um, exciting for the people buying the fragrances, but also speaks to the truth of, you know, how a big business has to work. So one uh, fragrance platform or brand that's really doing this well is uh, Indie UK House Austin's, um, which is bringing open source perfumery um, direct to consumers. And, and this is based on the idea that consumers across the different categories are, they're really researching brand backstories and demanding full disclosure on the sustainability and the traceability of the ingredients used. Um, and so they've um, implemented that right into the heart of everything that they're offering. So you can see exactly where the ingredients for this particular perfume have come from, you know, who, what the farms are, who they're working with and I think that this this element of, of opening the door to perfumery is really exciting and I think it's going to again push stuff um, in a different direction with uh, with fragrance. Michelle Pfeiffer uh, the actress has a fragrance house called Henry Rose which um, it has limited distribution it's a high-end fragrance house and they are being very transparent and listing every single ingredient in their fragrances which actually isn't isn't the usual practice um, and they will sort of put sort of where it's sourced is it synthetic or natural demonstrating that they are you know skin safe um, and giving people the tools to actually investigate and see what's in their fragrances which you know will only continue to grow great 
Well, Michelle Pfeiffer's leading Michelle the way. Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. That was really interesting. Really interesting to hear about all these fragrance categories that are being reinvented. I think um, there's clearly a lot of opportunity here for, for brands, so it's very exciting. I'd like to thank my guests, um, Lizzie Ostrom and Lisa Payne, and thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 